Well, good morning. That's exciting. It's an exciting morning. I always feel after baptisms we should just go eat downstairs at Anchor Bar and just eat a bunch of buffalo wings and forget the sermon. But I, I don't think I would get paid this week if I did that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the book that we'll be in this morning. If you were here last week, Pastor J. Tom did an incredible job giving the word. And so, man, just let's give him a big hand. I'm sure he's watching on Facebook Live as he does faithfully every week. So, man, he did awesome. He talked about this dance, that life is a dance and it's a dance with God. And, and, and that's really what it is. It's a relationship. If you didn't know, um, it, it's not religion. It is relationship. And although we have some liturgy and although we have some things that we all do together, it is a relationship with God. And, and our hope and our prayer is that you would enter the, into this relationship and that you would start this journey and you would start this dialogue, not a monologue, a, a dialogue with Jesus that you would start a dialogue and be led by him and that he would speak to you through many ways as he does. Some of that is maybe audibly, maybe through circumstance, maybe through other people, or maybe through your word. And, and I'm going to tell you that primarily he may speak through the word of God, through the, your Bible. And we're hoping that he does that this morning. Amen. Let's hope that he does that. Nehemiah is found in the Old Testament. If you're trying to look for it, it's a, it's a 13-chapter book in the Old Testament. And, and so go ahead and turn there. And we're really excited about this series. Nehemiah will be in this book um, until we're done with the book. If you're okay with that. And so we could be done after today if I just give you all the conclusion. But I, I really think it's going to take us some time to get through this book. And I think it's going to be an exciting um, moment for us. I, I want to, before we dive into there, I want to talk about uh, just, a, just a macro perspective and a micro perspective, if I could. A, a macro perspective, this, this big, grandiose perspective on life, this big, big grandiose perspective on, on what's going on in the world, what's going on in the cosmos, what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in the Bible, a, a macro perspective, because I think it's appropriate for us to have a macro and micro perspective, and we should have both, as J. Tom said last week, we should, we should be able to go in and out of both, but I would petition to you that a lot of us have a micro perspective on life. A lot of us only see life through, through our worldview, through the friends and family that we have, through, through our present circumstance. And, and I want to just tell you right now, the United States actually, it, it, it starts to amplify a micro perspective in your life. In fact, I'm so thankful for it, and there's nothing wrong with the individualistic mindset of America. It's actually really good. It's how we have entrepreneurs. It's how we start businesses. It's how we, you know, um, lead our lives and our families. But if you were to only stop in a micro perspective where you would only see life through that, you would be missing out on a large part of what God wants to do in your life. A large part of what God wants you to do in your life. And, and so I want to I wanna petition you to move back and forth, back and forth. And the Bible is micro and it is macro. It's both, actually. It's both. And when we read the stories of the Bible, when we read these characters, all of a sudden we have a little micro perspective where we're like, oh, I want to be David. You know, I'm going to be David, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be a man of honor, and I'm going to do these things, and I'm going to write psalms, and I'm going to rule a kingdom one day, and I'm going to do all these stuff, and we start putting ourselves in the characters of the Bible, don't we? And as you read Nehemiah, a lot of people have used 
this book as a destiny book on how to find out your particular destiny and how you should lead your life and how you should find vision and how you should grow your business and, and, and do multiple things and goal setting and, and leadership and all this stuff, right? And that's good. How I many you know that's good? Like, yeah, help me out, pastor. That's why I'm here. But I want to petition you that Nehemiah is actually not geared just towards that, but there's a macro perspective happening. There's a much bigger plan than just an individual plan that has come into Luminous Church this morning. That God is up to something bigger than me and bigger than us. Tell your neighbor, God's bigger than you. Tell your other neighbor, God's bigger than me. All right, so now, now you're like, whew, I'm glad I got that done with. Now, now we can move on. So let me set up the timeline. Let me set up the timeline of how we find ourselves in Nehemiah. You see, in the beginning, God created. And then he chose a people. After they rebelled, he chose a people, Abraham. He chose Abraham to be his people. And the offspring of Abraham were the chosen people of God. The chosen people of God were up to great things. You see righteousness within the chosen people. And, and you see Joseph and how he actually saves the people by going to Egypt. But they become such great a number that there's over uh, projected a million, two million Israelites at the time. A million, two million Jewish people. And, and, and so Pharaoh gets a little scared, doesn't he? He gets a little fearful because when something becomes greater than you, it just kind of produces fear, doesn't it? It kind of produces fear. And if you're not in alignment with God, it can move you to a place of sin. It can move you to a place of sin. It can move you to a place of acting, controlling, sinful, sinful tendencies. And so that's what happened. Pharaoh got so scared of these people, he decided to enslave them and make them slaves in this land. And for 400 years, they were slaves in this land. And, and, and you'll know the story well. And then, and then they are set through, free through Moses. They find the promised land. God was going to be their God. They didn't need any king. And yet the people want a king. Just like the people want a president, you know? Like, like the people want it. They, they want it. We need it. And we got to put all our trust and faith that all our problems are going to be fixed. And we just have that person right there in the, in the place. Everything's good. So that's what the people thought. And so they got Saul. Saul was king. He, he actually turned twisted, went crazy. Went crazy, and Saul went crazy, and then David became king. And as David was king of Israel and these 12 tribes, then his son Solomon became king. Solomon built the temple, and Solomon didn't have good kids. It's probably because Solomon had so many wives and concubines, you know. Solomon was worried about some other things, if you know what I mean. He was preoccupied. And so, so as he was doing this, he didn't raise up any good kids, and his kids rebelled. And as a result, the kingdom... Israel was divided into two. To the north, there were ten. To the south, there were two tribes. Well, the Assyrians came in, and they, they wiped out the ten tribes pretty easily because there was no righteous king in the north. They, it constantly was bad, bad, and worse, right? It, it was really bad for them. And eventually in the south, the, the kingdoms in the south, they had a righteous king and then a wicked king and then a righteous king would repent for them and turn them back to God and then a wicked king and then a righteous king. And it went back and forth, back and forth. And then at that moment, the, the, the Babylonians came in there and they conquered the south. 
They conquered the south and they actually grabbed everybody, threw them into exile, and they dispersed the Jewish people all over, all over to many different countries and several different continents as slaves. And they, they, they were scattered all over the place. And then the Persian Empire, as you remember in history, rose up. And the Persians were a little nicer, I guess you could say, than the Babylonians. And they actually were like, it's okay if the people go back to their homeland as long as they give taxes, a lot of them, and they obey the laws, right? You give taxes, obey the laws, we'll actually let you go back. And at this time, that was what was happening as we read these books. And Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah, this is all the, the same story unfolding and Ezra and Nehemiah, they're actually uh, conjoined in a lot of history. These two books are together, but in your Bible, it's separate. These are simultaneous events. And the priest Ezra was going back to restore the temple because the Persian Empire let him in. And then we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words in verse 4, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand oh Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man now I was cupbearer to the king. We find Nehemiah hears this news. He asks a question. He hears the news about the walls being destroyed. And what does he do? He begins to weep. It, you got to realize, Nehemiah is 800 miles away from Jerusalem. 800 miles, it's a distant uh, land. It's a distant country. It's not a place that he frequented much. And, and he realized the walls were broken, and he began to weep and mourn. Why is this moving him so much? It's moving him so much because he realized when the walls are broken, the protection is lifted, and walls 
that fall, right, begin to begin to allow the enemy to take root and allow, allow God's people to be invaded on. This is what we happen in Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A, a man without self-control doesn't have walls. He, he, he doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't have protection in his life. A lot of you who are students are wondering why your parents put boundaries on you. Why can't I stay up past 1030? Why can't I go out? Because the walls aren't there when you go out. You need to come back in. I need to put walls around you because anything after midnight, nothing good happens after midnight. And it doesn't matter what age you are, actually. So, so nothing good happens after midnight. And, and, and so the walls were helpful. The walls protected the city. The walls were so helpful. And, and the walls are helpful in your life. The walls that God has put up in your life are helpful, that they're going to be protection for you. And I just want to agree with you. I want to be in the protection of God, don't you? I want to be within his protected walls. I want to become, I want to be in these things. And what we see in Nehemiah is he becomes aware. Awareness. Awareness is a key aspect. If you're ever going to affect change in anything, you must first become aware. How many of you know that's true? Some of you have, have kids and you're not really aware. You're, you're oblivious because you got the dishes, and you got the bills, and you got everything else, and so you're just not aware of what's going on in their life, and, and without awareness, it's going to be really hard to be proactive in their life. We need awareness. Awareness is the thing that, that where, where burden first starts. If you don't have a burden for anything, it first starts in awareness, and, and that's what he did. He asked the question. He asked the question. How many don't like asking the question? Like, I avoid the question. I don't really want to know how you're doing. Because once I know how you're doing, I have to do something about it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really want to know. You know, y'all try to stop me in the foyer, and I'm just so fast, you can't even catch me. You know, like, don't tell me anything. I got to go preach. I don't want to be unaware until I preach. And then you can find me on the altar. <laughs> Come up here for prayer. Holy aware. It is so true, but he asked the question, and I remember this when we were coming to San Antonio in 2014, I asked the question. I asked the question because I thought it was imperative because I wanted to go to Scotland, I wanted to go to Europe, I wanted to go to an unreached people group where only 2% were going to church, only 2% were professing Christianity, and I wanted to go in some place like that because I knew if I had a conversation with somebody they didn't know Jesus and I was all about winning people for the gospel. How many of you want to win some people for the gospel? Three. We're, we're doing it, guys. We're going to win the city. All three of us. Like, like I, I needed to be aware, so I asked this question. Okay, Jesus, you're sitting in San Antonio. You know, they got, they got the mega churches on, on 1604 all over the place, right? They, they're, they're just, people are being reached. I just don't know if this is where we're called to do. So I just asked the question. How many people go to church on a Sunday? How, how many people? I mean, if we go there, are we just going to be another church? Are we going to take from other churches? Because I don't want to be the church that takes from other churches. I want to reach the lost. 
want the lost to be found. I want to be, I want to be like the good shepherd who would leave the 99 and go after one. I, I wanted to search the room for the lost coin. I wanted to be the, the prodigal father, right, standing at the door. And, and how many of you know that was all about me? I should leave some room for Jesus right there because that's all about Jesus, actually. So I repent right now. So I ran the stat through, through, through Barnard Research Group and looked at the statistics, and only, only one-third of San Antonio's go to church regularly on a Sunday. Two-thirds are not in church. I was like, man, that is a big burden, two-thirds. Two-thirds of 1.4 million people are not in church. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever you go, two-thirds. Two-thirds may just be enjoying nature and enjoying God out there on, you know, Enchanted Rock, you know. Two-thirds may be doing some stuff like that. But, but what I realized is, I don't think so. I, I think there's some lost people. I think there's some people who need to know about the love of Jesus and the hope for humanity and the hope for the world that will change people forever. I think there's some people who may need to know this. And obviously, we baptized three people today. Some people, at least three, needed to know that Jesus is for them and not against them. At least three. I, I just had a burden. Had a burden because I started getting aware. I started getting aware of it. And, and then I was like, Barna's a Christian, you know. Maybe he's just, you know, skewing the stats, right? Maybe he's skewing stats. So I go to citydata.gov, and I look at them, and I look how many profess Christianity or profess some kind of faith. And, and I realize that 44% in Bear County are agnostic that don't have faith in anything, don't identify with anything. And I realize, whoa, this is crazy. This is staggering. This is actually 995,400 people who, who don't profess faith on city data research. I mean, if you're not bold enough to produce faith on city data research... You know what I mean? Like, I'll just believe in God on this. No, no, that's the stuff that, like, really pulls you to really see what you believe and see what's in there. It's like, it's like the stuff that you're putting on the senses. Any faith, any belief, Christianity, anything, nothing. That's the one that they do without thinking because they know their grandma's not going to see it. I realize, I think we're in the right place. I start getting awareness. Awareness is good. Awareness has changed the world. William Wilberforce, who was so powerful in England to abolish the slave industry and the slave trade, he said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. And when you become aware, you have to do something about it. Or you look the other way. When I become aware of the statistics and the lost and those who don't know Jesus and have the hope of the world, I actually have to do something about it. I have to do something or I can look the other way. It's real easy to look the other way today, isn't it? Like, I mean, looking the other way looks a lot like this. Oh, what's my latest notification? What's going on? Looking the other way is, is so easy. I found myself looking away so much this week. So much this week with, with you know, first world problems. I found myself looking away, but that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to get a burden. A burden like a cupbearer would get a burden. Nehemiah, the cupbearer. 
had a burden. I want to tell you about a cupbearer. A cupbearer in this time was the closest friend to the king. The cupbearer was actually the one tasting all the good wine, making sure the king doesn't die, right? Because, because if the wine was bad and the wine was poisoned, the cupbearer would die. Now, that's, that's a job. But at least you had some good wine, you know? So that's what I'm saying. Everybody wants to be a cupbearer. That's how I'm going out. He was there, but, but the cupbearer not only tasted the wine and not only sampled the food like many, like the president does, where, where people, the Secret Service, actually go through his food, make sure nothing's in it. Now, dictators around the world who are hated by the people actually have cupbearers. Not, not only that, but this has to be a trusted person. The cupbearer is the trusted person. He, he is the chief of staff, as some would say, that, that maybe he moved past cupbearing where he was tasting wine and he would kind of delegate that. Hey, you, you try this, right? You first. He, he was there. He was good. He was in the palace. He was right next to the king. Every time the king ate, he ate. He was there. He, he was taken care of. He was well off. He, he lived in suburbia and drove his car, and his wife had a car too, and, and they had a dog named Ralphie, and, and they were all good, and it was awesome, and, and they were just set, and life was good, and yet he became aware. He got a burden, and burdens move you to change. One defining moment for me was when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and God was rocking my world. I just came out of a youth camp, which I'm really excited about our youth camp. If you're 6th through 12th grade, you have to go to youth camp. If you're not, just be a leader. <laughs> you have to go to youth camp. It's awesome. I remember going to youth camp. God rocked me, and I started getting a burden. Started getting a burden because I'd walk the halls every day, 40 hours a week, because that's where school is, and, and no longer is the parent the authority as far as influence, maybe position, but not influence. It's now their friends and their peers and the hallways and everybody they're around. And, and I started seeing everybody and talking about the parties and, and things that they were doing where, where the seniors would actually... and, and, and do crazy things to the sophomores, and, and just all sorts of stuff was happening. And I, and I started becoming aware, and I remember we were living in an apartment complex at the time, and I'd go to the racquetball court, and I was playing racquetball, and I remember God was just breaking me, and the Holy Spirit just came over me, and I started getting a burden. Start praying. Started praying in that racquetball court, and I started just proclaiming Jesus over those lives. Started throwing down those names, Amanda and Ryan and Tyler, and, and started just declaring life over them, declaring that Jesus was going to be the Lord of their life, that they were going to be changed. And I, started, I started preaching there in the racquetball court because it was exciting because that's reverb, you know? Like, throw some reverb, Deb. I'll get, I'll get really excited. And so, so I just started preaching and praying and preaching and praying and crying out and believing God for them it was a burden and when I graduated college I gave six and a half years to youth ministry I think it started in that moment in the racquetball court where I became aware I had this burden and started to pray all of us in here who follow Jesus have a burden for something 
have a burden for something. You're aware of something, and God's put something in you, and it's a burden in you, and you have to do it. I'm so proud of Chris Adcock. Y'all might not know him, but he's a, he's a father, and he's a husband, and he's a med student, but he, he had a burden to lead our mission trip this year, and he had a burden to go to Mexico to build houses and evangelize and share the gospel. And he had a burden, but he didn't have time for the burden. He didn't have time for the burden. But burdens don't make an excuse, do they? Burdens see it through. Burdens make a way. And I'll tell you, man, his wife has grace for him, an extended amount of grace, because she knows he's fulfilling his calling in a couple of weeks when we pray for the team to send them out. What's our burden? What is God doing inside of us? What is he doing inside of us? Now, you're like, we're in the Old Testament, Ben. This is the cupbearer. This is about setting. This is a macro thing. This is about setting, setting Israel back in place and putting the walls up and, and, and around the temple so that, so that Jesus can come. And it's setting a t- stage. And it is. It is. It's doing all that. It's, it's macro and it's micro and it involves Nehemiah. But I want to tell you, it's macro and it's micro and it involves you and me. Do you know what? You're given the same burden we see it all throughout Scripture, but Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, that you would start loving people, start extending grace towards people, the golden rule for people, that you would do this, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, share with each other, start working for each other, start helping each other out. And in Deuteronomy 16, 17, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Give what you're able to give. Here's the cupbearer, and he knew he could give something. You can give something too. And you're, you're, God is not blessing you, so you can just have more. I know, it's so frustrating, and you're mad right now, and I want more. I want more food and more of my bank account, more house and more car, and I want more muscles, and I want more. I just want more. Get more. God's blessed you to have more. But if it's only more for you, then you're missing the gospel. You're missing the whole picture, missing what God is doing in your life. I'm excited. A lot of y'all know, but my wife and I, were selling our house we're selling our house, and we love our neighborhood, and my neighbors are here, Richard, and, and we walked around the block the other day, and I, I love it, but I got this burden. I got this burden for my parents and, and my wife's mom, and, and so we're actually building a smaller barn for us so that we can build something for them to live in so that they can have, be housed in, and, 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 you know, sometimes you just got to do stuff because of a burden. Sometimes it's building a smaller barn for you so you can build a barn for somebody else. My wife's not happy about it. She loves our closets. They are huge, <laughs> huge. Babe, you're going to have a smaller closet? No, maybe we just, no, baby, that's $10,000. We're not doing that. It's okay, Lord, is going to bless you, and he wants you to have more, and he wants to have you, let you have a house. Don't go, woe with me. Oh, I'm just sacrificing that's why I'm living in this house. I'm just sacrificing. That's why I'm driving this 1990s Tercel, you know? No. God wants to bless you, but he's giving you an abundance, an overflow. What's coming with the overflow? What are you doing with the overflow? 
Because the overflow should be overflowing on other people. It can't fill up in the cup. If you try to put it back in the cup, you're losing something at the bottom. You may be losing something that God has deposited in you because you keep trying to put back in your cup because I need to keep putting in my cup. But no, we have to, we have to trust God that the overflow is for others, perhaps. Perhaps it is according to the gospel that we read. So this is what God's called us to do. He, he got a burden, but what else did he do? He owned up. He owned up. He, he repented. He repented not because he was doing anything wrong. Have you ever felt like, I don't need to repent? What do I need to repent about? I go to church, tithe, serve, serve, serve more because they keep asking me to serve. I don't know why. It's not that big of a church. I mean, seriously, <laughs> can I have a day off? No, you can't. Just kidding. You can't. Bless you. Bless you. He owned up to it. He repented. He repented. He repented on the behalf of his ancestors and his family and his friends. Repentance for maybe stuff that he didn't even commit, but yet he did because it's macro and not just micro. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in here who's had to repent for the generations that were before you to break some things off of you that you inherited, that you had to repent of those things, you had to break them off, and you repented so that your next generation and you could be free and come into the blessing of God so that walls could be put up to protect what God is putting inside of you so that when it is protected, then when God pours out, then you can overflow into others and you can start building others up. See, it's not just to build our walls. Not just to build us up, it's to build the walls for the people of God so that there will be a safety place around luminous and around the body of Christ, around the church, so that we could do what God's called us to do. And so that the enemy wouldn't just keep coming in, lying to us, telling us things, speaking death over us. No, no, we got walls. Hey, don't talk about Pastor Austin like that because you see, I'm a gatekeeper. I'm a gatekeeper. You quit talking like that. Man, let's repent. Let's follow Jesus. We got some walls around us, and now, now we can start flowing out and start blessing others and blessing the city and start reaching those that we're having a burden for. See, it's, it's, it's both. It's all of that. My prayer, man, I ran out of time. I'll never do that. Nehemiah, chapter 1, next week. You know, ultimately, you know, it is a bigger story. The people of God are being preserved. The people of God are being reached. The people of God are, are going out into the city of San Antonio and beyond to reach those who are lost so that they would be found so that God would get the glory. So that God would get the glory. So that God would do exactly what he has always done and that he would rule and he would reign. So that he would rule and he would reign. What is Jesus giving you a burden for? I want to tell you something. If you don't have a burden inside of you, I want to tell you right now. It may be because you don't know Jesus. Maybe because you don't know Jesus and it's hard to have a burden for something that you don't know, that you aren't aware of. But 
But to get somebody's heart, you have to actually know them, don't you? Like, if I'm going to understand Ross's heart about him graduating this year, I'm so excited you graduated. Congratulations, baby. It's awesome. If I'm going to know his heart, I got to get to, I got to get around Ross. I got to get to know Ross. I got to get, I got to get to know what's going on. And then I start knowing his heart. And for us, if you don't know Jesus and you don't know God and you don't know his heart, it's because you just, you just haven't been around him. And the only way to get around the Father is through the Son. The only way to get to God is through Jesus, that Jesus actually paid the price for you and me as he was sitting on the cross. He was nailed to the cross for our transgressions, as the Bible says, that his sin was nailed to the cross and that that if we were to believe in him, trust in him, and take that sacrifice that, that through him we now have access to the Father. He sits in his glorified body in heaven at the right hand of God on the throne making intercession for you and me. Hey, God, what's up? It's like, hey, God, what's up? Jesus hears and says, hey, God, what's up? God talks back, hey, not much, Ben. God said, not much, Ben. You know, like, it's like, he's just making intercession. He's like in between. He's, he's covering. He's allowed access. It's, it's amazing. If you don't know Jesus, I, I encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus that you would confess with your mouth what God is already doing in your heart, that he is Lord and Savior, and you'll have an opportunity to do that at the altar in just a moment. Let me pray for you. If you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, I just, I thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done. God, I thank you for just the burden that you've placed in us. God, I know that some of us are just becoming aware of things, aware of so many social injustices, maybe aware of needs in our kids' ministry, aware of discipleship, aware of so many things. But, Lord Jesus, I just know that, God, that you would just put a godly burden in us because it's not about us. It's about you. Lord, I thank you that on a micro level, there is a little bit about us, that you love us, you died for us, you long to be with us. But it's about you. And on a macro level and on every level, it's about you. It's always been about you, so receive glory, honor, and praise. Father, for those who are starting to believe in their heart, this God's for me, not against me. He loves me, he paid the price for me. He wants to become the family. And I can only do that through Jesus. I pray there'd be confession today that Jesus is their Lord. We love you. Amen.